it's been a baking hot week in Greater Manchester. The city has been alive. Elton John, Coldplay, The Weeknd, Park Life Festival and Pink even playing in Bolton. But is Manchester's infrastructure really coping? This is the Manchester Weekly from The Mill. Hello there, welcome along to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mill. And in the Mill newsroom uh, this week, no Yoshi. Uh, so Jack Dolhanty has the juices. Hello Jack, my friend, how are you? Hello, how are you? I'm fine. Yeah, good. All good, 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 good. And, um, and Jack, we have the pleasure of being together on what is the 100th episode of the Manchester Weekly A momentous occasion. Isn't it? A huge Get the party moment. poppers out. Uh, And um, uh, yeah, 100 whole episodes uh, of the Manchester Weekly. So let me take this opportunity to say thank you for for being with us and for for following and for listening and for commenting and for liking and subscribing and all that kind of stuff. We've been able to keep doing it because um, you've made it possible. So thank you so much for that. Um, Also, the third birthday of the mill, uh, Jack, is on the horizon, isn't it? Yeah, it's next Tuesday. So what's that? That's the thirteenth from our perspective, or from all perspectives actually. But um, yeah, yes. so it's our third birthday, which is also crazy how quickly that's gone. I remember going to the mill's first birthday uh, when I didn't even work here. I was just sort of um, lingering along, trying to get in on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's crazy. That it's the third birthday, and we're holding a little party. Oh, say a little party, quite a big party for our size. Um, on Tuesday the 13th, which will be uh, hosted by Julie Hesmondhouse as well, so that'll be cool. Yeah, indeed, Coronation Street, Julie Hesmondhouse, long-term uh, Miller, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Julie, Julie Hesmondhouse, and also a recent profile E uh, as well of uh, from the Mill, that you wrote a very interesting profile of, of her, uh, which I think is really worth reading, actually. ManchesterMill.co.uk is where you go to read that, and we're going to put in the description uh, tickets, uh, because there are still tickets available to be at mm-hmm. the, at the, at the Mill's uh, birthday party on Tuesday the 13th of June. Between us, Jack, we've got no chance. I mean, we're never, we're not, we're never going to make it, are we? We're not going to get there. (laughs) Uh, If you're more organised than us, uh, there's tickets available for you uh, in the description of this podcast. So it'd be lovely to see you at the Mills birthday drinks. Okay. Um, let's crack through, my friend, because um, 100 episode or not, we've got business to take care of. We're going to talk this week extensively uh, about uh, the ins and outs of Philip Schofield's departure uh, from this morning um, yep. and how shocked fans are by Holly's reaction. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. And also the subtle psychological... Uh, <laughs> the outfit. There was a lot in the outfit. There was a lot in the outfit. The psychological nuance of her outfit is also exactly. up for debate today. Exactly. Oh, no, wait. No, sorry. That's a different uh, media outlet, isn't it? In, uh, yeah, it is. Sorry. Forgive me. No, sorry. I got confused there. Um, we're going to take care of some very important business, actually. In fact, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a really big couple of weekends in Manchester. Last weekend, of course, was uh, Arctic Monkeys, Coldplay, Elton John... Um, and of course, there was a Manchester derby that was happening in London, but everybody in Manchester, I suppose, watching it. And so, real questions about Manchester's transport infrastructure and how well Metrolink, in particular, but also our train stations, dealt with, and bus network, I guess, you know, dealt with lots and lots of people being in Manchester at the same time. This idea that Manchester has sort of cracked getting people into the city, you know, being a really great venue for people to come and spend their time and their money. But our transport infrastructure not keeping up. Um, if you thought that was bad, just wait till this coming weekend uh, when it is Park Life Festival at the same time as a Metrolink strike. 
of course, Metrolink being the, the main way that people get to Parlight Festival. Uh, pretty much the only way you can get to Parlight Festival by, via public transport. Um, so we'll talk about that in more detail in a little bit, and we'll find out what's going on with that. Firstly, Jack, can we start with um, some alarming new research uh, in the mill this week? 45%, get, get a load of this, 45% of children in Manchester live in poverty. That, that I must have misread that stat. You haven't, actually, and it is astonishing. And it makes Manchester the third worst place for child poverty in the country. Um, and it also, we're joined by three other Greater Manchester boroughs who are also in the poorest 20. Um, that's Rochdale, which is 20th, Bolton, which is 14th, and Oldham, um, which is 6th. And as our, um, it was our data reporter, Daniel Timms, that looked into this, and he found that not only were they, you know, the third worst place in the poverty of the country, nearly half of children in the city um, now living in poverty, but the numbers are also headed in the wrong direction, with Manchester and Oldham having a 10 percentage point increase in child poverty levels since 2015 and worse still much of that data and the research predates the cost of living crisis so the true figure could be even higher it could be over half the children in the city wow extraordinary just extraordinary Um, okay so i suppose the the obvious next question jack is why well it's difficult well we can't really say for certain why but what's possible or what daniel sort of highlights is that you had in you often find that in poor areas, it's often those areas that are already struggling with poverty that are most hit by economic shocks. So if you have a lot of families who are already living just on the poverty line, when you have a sort of economic shock like a pandemic or a cost of living crisis, you have a larger number of families falling under the poverty line. It's kind of like, um, you know, in an arcade, a coin pusher. If you imagine all the coins that are on the very edge, when one coin gets in, far more of them fall off. When one shock hits that little line just above the poverty line, there's way more going under, which makes it much harder um, for those families. And it's always hard to to sort of resurface from under the poverty line as well. Um, So that's a huge issue. What these figures tell us, or what they show us, is the difference between the people who do and don't do well in today's, in, you know, the Manchester of today, I suppose. When you see parts of the city that grow, well, we all know about the very rapid development of the city, but we also understand that sort of in the shadow of that broadening skyline is um, areas that continue to struggle with poverty. And it was noted in the Guardian editorial when they talked about doing things differently again. Um, And I'll quote it here, that an an economic gulf has emerged between the thriving centre and the far poorer outlying districts, such as Withenshaw. Rents have gone up at a dizzying rate amid a serious dearth of affordable and social housing. So yeah, the figures, when you look at Manchester now as this sort of... Is, you know, we talk about it. One, it, this is the sort of dichotomy of Manchester, isn't it? In one sentence, you can talk about it as this glittering metropolis, and in the next, you can talk about nearly half of its children living in poverty. Mm, um, yeah. So yeah, it does highlight that. And that, and the idea that that, that would ripple uh, has not come to pass. No, yeah, exactly. The idea that there'd be a kind of trickle-down effect. It, and then you also you find this same sort of thing with the outer regions of Greater Manchester as well, don't you, where the idea that um, Manchester's city centre's amazing economic growth will one day affect Oldham, but as we can see, Oldham's still in the top 20 as well. Um, and even closer to home, even closer to that economic boom is worse, according to these figures, a third, third worst place in the country. 
Right, extraordinary. Um, there were some interesting comments from Graham Witham, who is um, from a campaign group called End Child Poverty Coalition. He's also the CEO of Greater Manchester Poverty Action as well. So this is right on his doorstep, isn't it? What, what, what did he have to say for himself? He said that the figures were shocking but not surprising and that child poverty rates have been rising in Greater Manchester for a number of years and, quote, government failure to adequately support people means there is no safety net when something like a pandemic or a cost of living crisis hit. So again, it's that the people who are most vulnerable to these things um, are people who are already living in poverty or on the poverty line. So what's interesting here is he's pointing to government failure, this being a government failure rather than a local authority failure. Yeah, of course. So as with many things that do have come to affect like broader regions in England and the north of England, um, much of the power does change. I mean, much of the power does sit with um, Westminster. So uh, the Anti-Child Poverty Coalition is calling for the government to scrap the two-child limit on child benefits because children growing up in large households are much more likely to be in poverty in the first place if you have like lots of siblings rather than just one. Uh, and another idea is that the energy bill support that we've had for the past over the past 12, 18 months should be extended to should be extended for poorer households. And obviously, it's the same. I think it often comes down to the same thing that on a local level, there needs to be more investment in social housing, which would just, you know, it would release that burden in many ways as well. Right. Okay. All right. Um, uh, all really interesting stuff. Um, you can you can read more of that and get some drill um, more into detail uh, uh, on some of those stats, some of those really genuinely very alarming stats um, at manchestermill.co.uk. That's where you go. Manchestermill.co.uk. That's where you go to subscribe and to read that story in full. Um, okay. From one end of the spectrum to the other uh, now, because um, it's been an extraordinary couple of weeks in the city with big ticket gigs, huge artists, loads going on as we rev into the city into the summer. Uh, Elton John, Coldplay, Arctic Monkeys, uh, Pink playing in Bolton this week. There's been an enormous event happening, Jack. Um, and of course, it's Parklife Festival coming up this weekend. We'll talk about that in a minute and and uh, what the uh, now suspended Metrolink strikes may have meant for that event and what's happened there, how we've got to a point where those strikes are no longer happening. Um, But let's just talk more broadly about this general sense, Jack, that Manchester's infrastructure isn't quite keeping up with the pace of the city. Yeah, exactly. You you find that often with these very busy weekends that it sort of um, exposes the the weaknesses in the transport system. So one of the big complaints is the lack of late services on the on the Metrolink. Um, So you have multiple people, uh, commuters on Twitter, basically voicing the complaint, saying that the nights had been ruined by having to get taxis home and they could have easily been getting um, the Metrolink. And it's something that we've had lots of trials over. late night services but the council is struggling to kind of come to terms with what the best way to do it would be mostly because passenger numbers still aren't back to pre-pandemic levels i think last september last december sorry there was a full council meeting where um it was said that the tram passenger numbers in the final hour of service so that's from like 11 to 12 is still only 20 percent of pre-pandemic levels so that was in december obviously it could have changed since then um but yeah it's it's a difficult one to put together and these busy events do highlight that um and as the upcoming weekend will as well 
Yeah, absolutely. You do. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? We'll, we'll talk about that in more detail in a sec, but it does make you wonder, doesn't it? If if there is a big gig on, or if there's a a concert, a, a festival like this weekend, if they can't just run a late service for that event, or for for you know, on a, or just on a Friday and a Saturday, or you know, some, something like that, where where, exactly, where yeah. they know there's going to be demand, right? You think that there would be more flexibility. Um, just to be able to put on more services on, on certain nights. And I think they, they would more than make the money back um, because of the number of people who don't want to have to get a surge price Uber home from the Etihad or something like that. They would much, much rather just get the tram. Um, so, yeah, it would be... It does kind of make sense. I'm, I don't know why that solution isn't... I don't know if that's not on the table for some reason, but I presume it must be. Mm, yeah. Um, okay. And, and, and to this weekend, then Jack, where there is Part Life Festival uh, happening at Heaton Park, and there was an ex. Well, we were expecting it to be carnage because mm. um, the Metrolink workers were due on strike. Uh, Unite were leading a strike of Metrolink workers. It was going to really affect the weekend. Um, in the last twelve hours, that has been called off. Yeah. I mean. Um... Andy Burnham has sort of claimed this, not so much as a bitch for himself, but he's talked about bringing together um, uh, Kyo Lisami, which is the operator of Metrolink and the Metrolink workers, and they've come to some sort of agreement to essentially suspend this strike because there's no talk in any of the reports about a new pay offer being agreed. I think it was the strike would action would have been over a 5% pay increase that Metrolink workers say is an effective pay cut. I think Andy Burnham's been on the record to say that that, that pay increase isn't that bad and that over the past few years Metrolink um, workers have had uh, above inflation pay rises but either way the strike was about to go ahead um, and yeah it would have caused huge disruption like you say I mean it will still be carnage at Part Life because it's, it's carnage every year trying to get home from Part Life <laughs> isn't it but like it would have been really difficult and I think we spoke about this before back when we thought that the strike was going to go on and it, it would have caused I mean it, it's problematic enough I think when you have a lot of people trying to get home from somewhere and they can't, you know, find easily accessible transport. But this would have been a particularly young crowd, people from outside of the city who don't necessarily know where they are or where they're going. They're away from home. And I think, you know, not to be stereotypical, but after part life, you're probably not always in the best shape anyway to find your way home. So if you put all of that together with with a tram strike, it could have been it could have been dangerous for some people, I think. Think about stereotypes is this so often true, uh, mm. and it, in that case, very true. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so that's clearly, clearly very good news, isn't it? And and the um, uh, the union will now put that pay rise to their members, and of course, mm. there's a decision to be made there. The members will decide whether or not that's something that they want to accept, and whether or not that could lead to further strikes remains remains to be seen. Uh, but at the moment, suspended and suspended at least for for, for part life weekend. So that's clearly very good news. Just another piece of news this morning. As well jack that caught my attention on the issue of andy burnham and transport because um this rail this rail north committee um uh, has uh, has elected andy burnham of its chair as its chair uh, and the rail north committee is i guess a sort of board of people who of sort of local mayors and local authority people who advise transport for the north don't they um mm-hmm. what, what what's the significance of this jack um, the significance of it, I guess, is that it's a really crucial time for sort of rail in, in this part of the country um, because now the two, a lot of the main operators have now come under public control after, um, as you will have seen, TransPennine becoming the sort of last resort thing that happened with TransPennine. So it's a time where 
northern leaders and mayors are in a position to much more shape railway policy and the way that transport works in this part of the country. Um, so to have Andy Burnham as chair, it kind of speaks to his... I mean, he's been such a, a, a voice on this sort of thing, so it makes sense. Yeah, indeed. OK, uh, we'll watch that closely for you uh, as well. Um, elsewhere this week, let's talk about um, uh, another story that is big in Greater Manchester, and I think always will be, and that is the aftermath from the Manchester Arena attack. Uh, we're going to talk about Figa Murray shortly. She's been giving evidence to a committee uh, in Parliament, the Home Affairs Select Committee, who are currently scrutinising so-called Martin's Law, which is a piece of legislation that she's championed about uh, helping to improve security for venues, um, uh, 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 similar to Manchester Arena, I suppose. Let's start, though, uh, Jack, with the Greater Manchester Fire and Rescue Service because their chief has been speaking this week. Yeah, that's right. So Greater Manchester Fire and Rescue came under a lot of criticism, um, especially in the second report, if memory serves. And they, they basically, what this... I think what, what we're coming around to now is basically what the recommendations are and it's a kind of reflection on how services have made changes. Um, and when they're talking about that, they've, you know, they've spoken quite candidly um, about Greater Manchester Fire and Rescue officers who just lost confidence in commanders um, in the wake of the arena attack. I think one quote here, indecision paramala- paralysed um, Greater Manchester Fire and Rescue that night and there was an undoubtedly a lack of, a lack of grip exercised by commanders. And he says that the pain uh, remained visibly etched on the faces of fire officers who, you know, went on to feel really quite ashamed that they couldn't do anything constructive. I guess for context, I don't know if, how many how familiar people are with the report, but to give you a general impression of what went wrong with the fire services, it's just they didn't arrive until two hours after the explosion. And when they did, they mustered three miles away from the arena. There was basically a bit of a, a mix-up of whether they should muster at the cathedral um, and there was still some sort of confusion around then of what kind of terrorist attack it was, and then it was decided that it wouldn't be safe for them to muster at the cathedral, so they ended up mustering at a fire station three miles away, from which they couldn't um, really uh, dedicate much or contribute much to the effort to to save people, which is part of the, which is basically what they're talking about. They they didn't make the right decisions. Their indecision caused those problems, and now the over, I mean the overall. Um, take from David Russell is that they, they have learned from those mistakes um, but yeah I mean it's always the thing with these you, you kind of hope you don't ever find out whether they did learn from them because that would mean that something so tragic has happened again that they've had to respond in that way but um, yeah that's the general stuff from the fire service mm, Okay, uh, those comments were a hearing uh, by the way which has been set up to monitor the recommendations yeah, as a yeah, result of bad. that inquiry yeah. so I think we'll probably get a bit more from, from that um, over the course of its lifetime so we'll, uh, we'll bring it to you as we get it. Just on that issue as well, by the way, Fegan Murray, uh, who is, of course, the, the mother of Martin Hepp, one of the victims of the Manchester Arena attack, uh, was yesterday speaking to the House... She was in the House of Commons yesterday because she was speaking to the Home Affairs Select Committee uh, who are scrutinising a piece of legislation that she's been pursuing uh, called Martin's Law, or it's sort of dubbed Martin's Law, uh, that is trying to make particularly large venues, but most venues really, medium to large venues, more secure, Jack. Uh, what did we hear from Fig Murray yesterday? Um, yeah, she spoke, again, the whole thing around these hearings have been quite candid, and she spoke about just the kind of effect that it has on, it has had on her family to lose Martin in that way. Um, her quote is that she is broken by what happened um, back in 2017, and that it does sort of, 
irreparably change the you know the way that families function after something like that which again i think it and vegan often talks about um the after support for families of survivors and families of victims which again is something else that the government are working on bringing in um to sort of give sort of media representation and put people in in contact with like various experts and prepare them for inquiries and stuff like that which is one of the real big or one of the big things that's come out of this uh, of the arena attack was the way that survivors and families of survivors and victims were kind of just left at the mercy of a huge press pack or what to do about an inquiry and kind of left in the dark about stuff yeah, absolutely. And and she, she talked to, I mean, gosh, um, her, her testimony is really harrowing, actually. She talked about being broken, didn't she, um, to that inquiry, to that to that committee, and um, who was scrutinising that legislation. I'll tell this story again, because I've told this before, but, but so forgive me if you've heard this one before, but I spoke to Figa a little while back. It must have been around an anniversary, and um, I said to her, you know, does her work in counter-terrorism and uh, with Martin's Law, does it make her grief any better you know does it help her sort of process the loss in any way and she said that you know she has a picture of martin on her mantelpiece and every morning she comes down into the living room and she opens her curtains to start a new day and she asks herself every day is today going to be the day that i'm going to be able to look at this picture of martin for the first time since that night she hasn't been able to look straight directly at this picture of martin since that night um and every passing day she's still still unable to to look him uh, in the eye in that picture um, which I think probably tells you where she is. Um, an incredible woman, but um, by her own admission, one who suffered just an enormous, enormous loss. Okay, uh, we'll keep an eye on that for you as well, because it's actually it's, it's, it's passing through Parliament at the moment. There's lots of st- stages and hurdles, um, uh, as there is with the legislative process, uh, in terms of making Martin's Law, uh, as it is dubbed, come about. And there's a little bit more scrutiny from the Home Affairs Select Committee to come as well. So again, uh, that's something we'll keep an eye on for you. Um, and, and finally, Jack, uh, there is a piece in the Mill newsletter this week uh, that you have written, or this weekend, that you have written about security in Manchester and at at the um, Manchester Arndale and Market Street in particular, because you went to sort of meet the security of Manchester Arndale. Uh, but by the way, a group of people who sort of blend in a little bit, don't they, <laughs> into, yeah. into, into the background. I'm trying to think of a time that I've gone down Market Street and really sort of clocked the security. Like a good football referee, I guess. Um, very important, present, but not seen. Yeah, no, yeah, it went out on Tuesday, the piece, and I spent kind of a week walking around Market Street, sticking my head in shops and just being like, hi, um, what's your job like? <laughs> Which is always a fun thing to do. Um, getting lots of no's and lots of yeses. But yeah, I mean, it was Yoshi's idea to kind of, I think he was sitting outside a shop one day and overheard two um, security guards talking to each other and talking into their sort of um, radios. And basically on Market Street in the Arndale, all of the security guards are like interconnected by a radio channel, which is all then centrally controlled. As you can tell, I've got very into this, which is all then centrally controlled in a little underground bunker under the Arndale. Um, and yeah, I love doing these kinds of stories, really. I just like chatting to people about their jobs because I feel like people are so candid about their jobs and just sort of like, especially in the, I don't know, like the people that I spoke to like sometimes you just ask someone about the job while they're doing the job and it's so much easier for them just to go like I hate it <laughs> do you know what I mean whereas if you were to like sit them down and make them retrospectively think about the job they'd be like oh yeah this is okay and that's alright but while you're in there doing it you're always in a bit of a mood um, but yeah I can't, it's a bit of a weird one like it was basically me just trying to get in this security lodge and they wouldn't let me in 
um, for the whole time because it's a kind of GDPR breach. But I was just kind of like, come on, like, <laughs> just let me have a look. Let's have a look at the CCTV because I just find it fascinating how all of these little shops and these guys are just all chatting to each other all day. So, like, for example, if you go into, like, Foot Locker and you try and rob a pair of trainers and you get caught and then you walk out because a lot of the problems that you find with shoplifters... I used to work in a shop on Market Street, actually, um, Slater's, and they had, like, a security guard, like, the odd time. But what would, you, what, what would you find is that you would just get loads of repeat shoplifters. Like, you would know them by face when they walked in. You're like, oh, there's a guy who stole a pair of jeans last week. And then... Well, once that's happened, everyone will radio around and like share the description of the person so they don't get any more shops. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting story, um, fun one to do. I love all those ones where you're kind of just talking to people randomly and trying to find out little tidbits of information. So yeah, it was fun. Mm, excellent. Okay, uh, really worth a read in your copy of the Mill newsletter that you can subscribe to, manchestermill.co.uk. You can go and subscribe and you can read uh, other editions, older editions like uh, that one from Jack. Um, okay, a couple of other bits and bobs to point you towards before we wrap up this week. And uh, the football season is pretty much over, bar City's game of the weekend. But there's a lot going on, lot going on with our clubs, isn't there, in Greater Manchester at the moment. City on the brink of a Champions League win of the weekend. Uh, United on the brink of a new owner. Bury FC on the brink of a return and Wigan FC on the brink of some real trouble. Let's start with United, shall we? Because uh, there's been a little bit of progress so far as the ownership or the the potential new ownership uh, is concerned at Old Trafford, Jack. Well, yeah, I mean, it's another incremental, not very transparent thing. All we know is that Sheikh Jassim, who was the original sort of prospective owner in February, who made one of the original bids, has made a fifth bid. Um, And... As, is often, has, as has been the case with this whole process, that's about all we know. Um, and that, I think that's becoming a big frustration for fans and also for staff uh, inside Old Trafford. Um, and actually, we published a really interesting piece last week uh, by Jack Walton, who spoke to fans, but also the kind of um, Manchester United streamers and vloggers who were kind of really influential amongst fan bases about their views on who they want. Um, to be the next owner, obviously between Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Sheikh Jassim. It's a bit of a morality play, really. But, um, yeah, you should read that if you want to get um, a good sense of that. Definitely. Um, Okay, take us to Bury uh, and some good news for Bury FC. Step in the right direction this week. Yeah, so Bury will be uh, returning to Gig Lane, their sort of ground that they lost back in 2019 because of uh, financial struggle, um, which caused them to be expelled from the league. It's the uh, English Football League, isn't it, that they're in? So, yeah, they were suspended from there, um, lost the ground, fans banded back together to buy it, and now this kind of fan-run club that was formed after the suspension has come back together with the original club and Bury Football club or Bury FC will be back in the English Football League under that name which is really uh, exciting news yeah very much so big big moment that big moment when that comes to pass um, and, and in stark contrast uh, as far as fortunes are concerned real trouble at Wigan Athletic Jack what's going on yeah, so the owners have said that a deal has been agreed to sell the club. Um, as you say, it's been a really difficult time for them, again, with financial issues. They're starting the 2023-24 season on minus eight points after failing to pay wages. And just this week, two directors uh, of the club resigned amid growing concern about the club's financial situation. That was Tom Markham and Oliver Gottman. Um, and yeah, they stepped down after money which was, quote, promised by the ownership group to be paid by the start of this month failed to materialise. So there's clearly still issues there financially. 
Yeah, and I think it's also worth worth saying, by the way, that the the the, uh, the potential owners, uh, the, or the the, the the as as we understand it, as reports suggest, that the, the, the potential new owners are um, are two very young entrepreneurs. I think one of which is is uh, only twenty one, um, and attempted to buy Morecambe FC. Uh, recently, but was refused, or, or, or there was there was a problem with it because um, of not being able to demonstrate requisite funds. Because one of the sort of EFL, um, uh, one of the sort of barriers you have to cross with, with the EFL is that you have to show that you can fund the club, that you can fund the club for a certain period of time. I think they've already attempted to buy a football club and already run into that problem. So. Um, it doesn't feel like that's Wigan home and dry uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Deep, deep, deep concern for Wigan fans at the moment. So again, that's a story that we'll keep our eye on. And just finally, 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 um, one of our favourite subjects, or Yoshi's favourite subject, let's indulge him considering he's not here, uh, Jack, uh, uh, the uh, the ENO, the uh, English National Opera, uh, its potential move to Manchester has ruffled a feather. A single feather, yes. One of the board members, Lord Sumption, um, has stepped down from his position over plans to move the company out of London. Should specify this is him specifically being annoyed about the idea of it moving to Manchester. This is just generally the, the idea of it moving away from its home in London Coliseum. And this is the Arts Council plans where they basically said that future funding would only be available to the English National Opera if they moved out of the capital to another city. And there's a bunch of contenders, could be Liverpool, Bristol, Birmingham. One of them is Manchester, hence why we've covered it so extensively. Um, but yeah, the Lord Sumption called the the Arts Council Philistine um, and said that the move out of London would emasculate the English National Opera and turn it into a pale imitation of the real thing. And I presume that's wherever it moves, he'll feel that way. Right, okay, fair enough. Um, all right, again, a story we'll keep an eye on. Uh, that's it for us, pretty much, for this weekend. Just very briefly take us into the, the, the Mill newsroom, Jack. What's, uh, what, what are you guys working on at the moment? So Molly is currently working on a piece about Hardy's Well Pub. I don't know if you saw that got burned down the other week. Yeah, um, we talked about it on the podcast last week. Yeah, that, oh, big, well, that lovely go. poem from Lem Sisse that. Uh, yeah, well exactly. Yeah. The, I think it wasn't like the first time that's ever happened. The kind of having a poem on the side of a uh, or like art installation in that way. It had some sort of first quality to it. It was like nineteen ninety four, I think. Anyway, um, Molly's been looking into that, speaking to the owners of the building um, about you know basically there's, there's been a lot of rumours swirling around what happened and that's what she's been looking into uh, but you'll be able to get that today from the perspective of when this podcast is published and um, we're also working on a big piece again Daniel Timms our data reporter has been looking at what schools are best performing in Greater Manchester so that'll be our weekend long read um, and it's set to be an interesting one and what else oh, I'm, I'm interviewing landlords what it's like to be a landlord in Greater Manchester nowadays because oh, nice. obviously they, they, they do take the they bear the brunt of in public perception I guess nowadays so it's interesting to hear how they feel about it uh, one of them there just told me at one time to become a landlord was a sign of success but now you become basically a pariah if you tell anyone that you are one uh, which I think right. is quite an interesting change <laughs> Right, yeah, absolutely. Right, okay, very interesting. Um, all right, good stuff. We'll look forward to all of that. ManchesterMill.co.uk, where you go to subscribe. Uh, some stuff to do then around Greater Manchester. I mean, there's loads going on, Jack, uh, over the next uh, week or so. Uh, what should be on our radar? Um, yeah, like you say, it's a really big weekend for events. There's park life. There's a lot of raucous events going on. Soccer Aid, I think the weekend is on at the Etihad. But if you want something a little bit more quiet, you want something that's basically on the other end of that spectrum, you should go to the Manchester Reading Group, um, which is at the People's History Museum. This Saturday, uh, half one till three, 
while everyone else is in the baking heat, getting very sweaty and having their eardrums perforated. You can be sat in a nice, warm, cosy museum chatting with people about books. I think that's a nice alternative. Well, actually, I agree. I agree. I scoffed at that at first, but actually, then since you've started describing it, uh, yeah, it sounds like a really nice, <laughs> it like a really nice idea. <laughs> yeah, in contrast to uh, in contrast to park life and uh, the weekend at the Etihad and soccer at the Old Trafford. Uh, Old Trafford. Um, also this weekend, by the way, uh, the Halle are on. Uh, somebody mentioned, I think somebody commented on one of the Mills articles uh, this week saying you guys should do more coverage of the Halle yeah. uh, and talk about the Halle more. So I'm going to do that right now. The Halle, the Bridgewater Hall, uh, they are doing the Apostles, uh, which is a remarkable uh, piece of work, isn't it? And will be beautifully uh, crafted, I'm sure, beautifully delivered by the Halle. That's at the Bridgewater Hall on uh, the 10th, which is uh, which is what? That's blah, 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 blah. Saturday, isn't it? Yeah. So there you go. Uh, so that's uh, that's Part Life Night as well. So there you go. Nice. That's that is again stark contrast to Part Life Festival, mm. uh, isn't it? If you want to offset Part Life Festival, uh, go see the Halle at uh, the Bridgewater Hall. That looks like it will be lots and lots of fun um, and also just a quick nod to Manchester City as well who are in the uh, Champions League final uh, this weekend for for everything that can be said about Man City buying the Premier League uh, when it is an English team versus an Italian team in the Champions League final your allegiances surely have to be uh, with our City club uh, with Man City uh, so good luck to them uh, in that um, we are back in your podcast feed same time next week if you want more details on all of those stories frankly and everything else you need to know uh, from Greater Manchester just subscribe to manchestermill.co.uk you will get quality journalism direct to your inbox for now though Jack my friend thank you thank you see you next week <laughs>